Welcome to How to Hochschule, our audio guide about tackling life and work at Rheinwald University of Applied Sciences, one of the most international universities in Germany. So grab a hot cup of Joe, put on your comfiest headphones and join us as we explore the world of Hochschule Rheinwald. Welcome once again, as we inch towards the finale of our first season, we journey forward with our enthralling series 24 Hours at Hochschule Rheinwald. Over this quartet of episodes, we are threading through the pulsing veins of Rheinwald University of Applied Sciences with every stroke of the clock painting a new vista. And now we venture into part two, first light. So as the sun casts long shadows heralding the day, We invite you to delve deeper with me, your host, Stefan Hanf, into the daylight odysseys of Hochschule Rheinwald. Today, our tale begins with the tender rays of dawn caressing the serene facade of HSRW in Kamp-Limfort. In our first story, it's not only about bustling corridors and the hum of earnest discussions, it's about the awakening of a microcosm teeming with ideas and endeavors. The morning at HSRW is a blank canvas, Waiting for the brushstrokes of our very first guest. My name is Margarita Spirova. Who gracefully ushers us into the life and mind of a lecturer. With her, we delve into a world where every lecture hall resonates with the echoes of empowerment, especially for women amidst the realms of STEM. I had professor position for database management for four years here in University of Applied Science, Rheinwald, but this position was not in your track. And now, uh, this was uh, till end August, and now <laughs> I have sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> It's all, how was the difference between working in a firm and working at a university? Ah, it is very different, of course. At a firm, in some sense, after a few years, the task, the problems are standard. In, in some sense for me, okay, yes. in some sense, of course, they are uh, a new thing, they are development, but this is not in this uh, volume like in the, uh, at the university. Yes, yes. Yeah. In the university, to prepare such course, I need to study really a big volume of literature to decide to see similar courses, to decide what I can uh, include in this course. And uh, a big difference is the academical uh, freedom. Ah, yes, of course. Uh, at here, all depends on the customers. And what I think also interesting in your field, the technology 10 years ago is moving so so fast. And even now, if I just look back like half a year before like AI were like uh, in, in the broad public, I think probably you heard about it many years ago in, in your, because it's not that, that new, but the, the possibilities are getting more broader, I would say. Is that something you also apply? Like when something in a field like computer science is changing to adapt that to your courses? 
in computer science, for example, artificial intelligence, this is the developments for the uh, Second World War. Yes, Turing. Turing, the Turing, Turing. Yes, yes. Turing. Now, today, what is very quickly that this is the power of computers. Yeah. This is in some sense for computer science, software development. Mm. And now they can be realized, of course, mm. when the, the computers are always power and power. Mm. Uh, we do not have exactly information, for example, search in Google. How happens mm. this? Not only in Google, in all search machine. This is black box or artificial intelligence. How function the algorithms? Mm. There are some logic to function, but this is in the company. This know only the people from the company. And especially when we have to teach this, we teach the basic principles of uh, this thing. And I think the now for the this should be also uh, for the um, uh, research and uh, society is very important to have some regulation that we know how function the algorithms that companies offer us. Mm -hmm. And this can be made by a researcher. Mm -hmm. And uh, to researcher to be, this is a new field of computer science research, to be like bridge between society and the companies, and mm -hmm. also between uh, society and the science, mm -hmm. to explain to society what is this? How function? Is this dangerous? When can, uh, when can be this dangerous? What should be uh, made that we are protected from these uh, things? This is completely new now today. There are no such specialists. And in my personally research plan, I would like to develop in this direction. Mm, so that it's more public knowledge yes public knowledge what close. happens because now today artificial intelligence this is in some sense only negative in media of course there are many problems especially if this used from dictator states but this depends from the society from the that we can protect from these things otherwise this is uh, incredible tool to improve our life. And we uh, we have to use this for the medicine, mm. for improving the life, for teaching, uh, for the environment. We no, This is not only this negative sides of yes, uh, yeah, artificial yeah. intelligence. Of course, this is also one side. What you do here is, if I understand correctly, you can explain it until a certain point to the students, but after that, then you can guess how they, for example, the Google search engine works or... This is because to study how, for example, we have the Google, the mm -hmm. search machine, Google. This is the only search machine that published many years ago, the mm -hmm. algorithm, how to... This is the so-called uh, uh, page ranking. This mm -hmm. is the founder, named by founder of... Uh, one of the mm -hmm. founders, uh, Larry Page. Mm -hmm. Now today, uh, Google say we do not use more this algorithm. And that's the reason why they publish. Uh, that machines do not publish any.
anything. And I had a course uh, search engine machine as uh, EO. And uh, firstly, we study the foundation. There are some logic to make this uh, ranking, but the companies uh, do not uh, like to say how exactly this function, because this is possible to optimize. For example, you have online shop and you can optimize. If you know the algorithms, you can optimize that if somebody search uh, something. Firstly, or on the first page, uh, come your online shop. This is a big branch in optimization of such mm. uh, websites, mm. but we do not really know the algorithms that are used by search engineering uh, machines. The question is how to learn the students. Mm. They are fundamental principles. Uh, I mean, you have first semester students as well, right? So you even have to explain to them what the algorithm is. You can think uh, cooking recept. Yes. Firstly, you take eggs, mm. three eggs. After this, you take ta -ta -ta. you mix this. While this is also a typical uh, operator, while the color of the mix is. Mm, here for the color, we have to give a number. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what, mm -hmm. what should be the color? Mm -hmm. Mix well uh, or repeat some operation until uh, something happened. Uh, this, this is algorithm. Yeah, until you have an end, and the end is like yes. a cake. Or... Uh, yes. Yes, yeah. yeah. Or back this until the temperature is... 200 uh, yeah. or until the time is 30 minutes. Yes. So I think it's more or less agreed that mathematics is like the language of the universe, right? Probably yes, it's exactly. Many people consider mathematics as tools for the te technique. Yes. This yes. is right, but this is not the main side of the mathematics. Right. You are right. This is, this is like universal language. Yes. My opinion is we do not need... Uh, for example, in the in the first year in the school, the children learn to calculate. Mm -hmm. This is we need only the base of this: how to add, how to subtract, how to multiply. But to to exercise exercise three hundred. Uh, one and 17 multiplied with uh, this is I think mm. it is not necessary yeah that's you just the theor theoretical side uh, of it yes much more interesting and I think also suitable that uh, the so-called graphs this is a mathematical structure that are used also in the computer science in the first year in the school This can be learned. Even there uh, are experiments and they are really good. In, instead to, to calculate, to develop the logical thinking, they should be know what this means. 
But to have experience, to learn a few years, this is really in the first, maybe, you do not remember, I also do not remember this exactly, Mm. but in the first years in the school, the children learn only calculate. Yeah, it's boring. And maybe uh, many say, I hate mathematics. This is not mathematics, this is calculation. What the machine actually is doing. Yes. And now today, it is not necessary to... Yeah. Might be the same for writing code in the future, that it's a little bit the same, that you have to understand how to write code, but you don't have to write code? This is how to to write. Now today there is artificial uh, intelligence, then help us to write. The task to write code, this should be, I do not say easier, uh, but much suitable for the uh, because they are very strong uh, for example they are libraries mm. many problems we can use uh, these problems they are codes and we only use this instead to write uh, artificial intelligence can say you for some problem this is the most suitable language. And I know programmers that use this too. Uh, but the, I think that the job of programmers will be more interesting because this help of artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And we can more think about the logical structure. Because when I was in the school, when one write code, only comma, this was the reason that the computer say... It's all wrong. Uh, it is over. Mm. And then to, uh, the problem was to, to find if this is logical uh, mistake, if this is syntax mistake, mm. and the languages are now today much useful in this. We do not think about syntax mistakes, but nevertheless, this is the problem. The syntax is problem. And very often, the program does not function, and the Premiere uh, seeks the why, cannot see, ask other people to see the problem. At the end, this can be a syntax problem. Using artificial intelligence, uh, we do not have such problems. Only to think about the logical structure, the idea, uh, how we can solve the problem. Uh, and the other side is that the artificial intelligence, this is also codes. This should be written by programmer. <laughs> in this sense, the job, this is my opinion. I don't know what happened in 10 years. It should be very interesting. Mm. But now today, and this is more possibilities for not only for IT people, but also now today, People from all areas need to have some, I do not say computer competence, coding competence, data Mm. competence. Mm. But uh, they do not need to be uh, programmer. Using artificial intelligence, they can uh, can use the knowledge they, they have. Because the, the job of programmer in the last year, this is in all possible, 
area of our life. And the programmer, they do not know all this mm. world. Mm. They have to contact with people from this area mm. and to write the codes. And using artificial intelligence, the people from this area, uh, they can, in some sense, also write codes. It's just developing. These things are not clear yet, right? It's something that's uh, in Of course not clear. Yeah, nobody, nobody know what happened yes. tomorrow. This is not only society development or development of the science, the politics, wars, this change mm. our world. And now extremely many money will be spent for military not for education, not right. for research. This change also, in some sense, the develop. Yeah. So for people who are also interested in, in this job, being a professor, especially women from outside of Germany, what is like the one thing in your career until now you learned the main lesson for people who, were, who are in a similar, not similar, but in a position that They are also female, they're from outside of Germany, and they're interested in going into academia uh, or being a professor even. In contrast to many countries, in Germany, this is not the case. One has postdoc position at university, and after this, in this university, one uh, can uh, uh, become professor. Mm. This is not the case in Germany. Uh, the Germany, every uh, professor position will be announced and applicants are very, the number of applicants. And to have invitation, this is, uh, this is even good result. To have invitation, uh, how many people, this is different, but usually five, six people mm. have invitation. Uh, the commission is uh, 10, uh, 12 people. After this, uh, there is recension, uh, and after this, other commission, and so on. This is a very long process. Mm. Uh, and to have professor position in Germany from Uh, outside, it is uh, really very difficult. Mm. Uh, even this is in law, uh, that one has to have three years, five years experience, just a moment, three years as postdocs and two years in the industry. This is for this uh, Hochschule professorship habilitation is necessary. And without this condition, You won't get the position. Uh, yes. Uh, but even uh, if one has uh, this, uh, it is not so easy. It is not so easy. But I think if one is very driven, a few years postdoc position in Germany, this is uh, really good to know the system, to know here the people from the community. Mm, the uh, language probably. The language also. I think my decision was to invest this year 
I made also habilitation. I had six years as a postdoc and also habilitation and a few years in the industry. I, I invest this to have a professor position. Uh, but uh, one has to decide because uh, in Germany uh, with uh, doctor title after PhD, it is possible to have a really very good position in the industry and to make career uh, with sometimes salaries are much higher than professors, yeah. <laughs> especially in uh, IT, in mathematics. It is important that to decide mm. what I want to make career mm. in the industry, to have very high position uh, or to uh, professor position and to make research. Yes, yes. But yes. to get to this place isn't that easy. That's, that's a big problem. Yeah. Uh, my position was at this university, uh, Rheinwall. I don't know, maybe because this is a relatively young university. Uh, there are many such positions that are no tenure track like oh. my position, only yes. for few years. Yes, yes. It, yes. This is also stressful, of course. Of course, then, because then you have to... Yeah, have to apply. Uh, Sometimes it's just possible to be extended, but this is difficult. This do not depend only from the faculty or university. It is depend also from the province. Um, right, yeah. But nevertheless, I think if one is very driven and want to make this, mm. can find such position. Yes. And this is firstly academical freedom, the work with young intelligence people. This is a really, I like this case. <laughs> As the sun climbs higher, we rendezvous back in Kleve. As you might know from last episode, especially from the episode called How to Innovate, the Fab Lab isn't the only lab you can find on campus. Don't be surprised when you walk through the halls of Hochschule Rheinwald that you greet one, two or whole group of people in lab coats. And we grab one of these people out of the laboratory and into our mobile studio. So my name is Viraj. I come from India and I'm working here as a postdoc. His narrative is a testament to the relentless spirit of inquiry that fuels the heart of HSRW. So I did my engineering in biotechnology where you have to have... Uh, grasp over both chemistry and biology, not as per maths or physics, which I had to do, but you can get by, you can pass by and you can focus on other things. Yeah, that's what I did. I did my engineering in biotechnology. First year of engineering is same for all branches. So either you be from mechanical computer and so you go through uh, first year and you always have option to change your field. So you can be mechanical, computer science expert, or electrical. That's the main motive behind it. But yeah, so you have those courses which are generally associated with computer science. So we had uh, programming, language, database management, and so on. 
not on the deep level, but just introduction. And on the basis of that, I started working in IT, like <laughs> cliche, Indian guy working in IT sector. I worked there for six or eight months. So I was working as a technical support engineer. I was pro providing technical support for job-seeking web website in India. So like you have here Indeed, Stepstone, and you have people on backend who are working to make sure that if you go, if you do search on Stepstone, you get what you're looking for. So that was my main job to look for bugs, just technical support of the website. So you have to also have a lot of good conversation skills so you can interact with people and so on. And yeah, I wouldn't say it was biotechnology, but yeah, it's it was what I got. And I think that was the reason that I, yeah, I stayed there for six to eight months. And then I thought, okay, I need to do something else. And it's not what I want to do. Then I, yeah, I looked for options around Australia, New Zealand, US and England were my first choices because the, uh, those countries are e easy for me speaking English. But those countries which I mentioned, they were a little bit expensive because you have to pay, I don't know, thousands of dollars to study there. And uh, yeah, my parents said no. <laughs> Uh, we cannot support that. And uh, one of my friends, she used to study or she found in Ulm University. Uh, she studied microbiology there. And she told me, okay, why don't you look for Germany? You know, I didn't have any idea what I would find in Germany, especially in terms of language. I don't know why I had this thing in my head that all Germans would be speaking English. I have no idea. No one had told me that. But she told me, yeah, you might have to learn a little bit. I learned A1 in India, which I later found out that it's not what Germans speak. That's totally different what you learn in India, German, the type of German I would learn there. Obviously, you get few words, but uh, type of conversation what you have in German, it's different. It's not A to uh, B translation from uh, English. So you have different thought process and you have to think in German when speaking German. I don't know, it was just a standard thing in my mind that Germans will be speaking English. I have no idea because uh, you grow up watching Hollywood movies and you never think that, you just think that English is probably standard uh, throughout the world because in India it is, unless you speak, just have normal conversation. If you're dealing formally to someone or even people from other parts of the country, you speak English because that's the common linking language, I would say. Yeah, so that was also my thought process that, okay, if I go to Germany and I don't know the, their language, they don't know my language. So English would be somehow the common connecting link. And also it's a standard requirement. Initially, I looked for, obviously, for my field, uh, biotechnology, where I can get biotechnology or microbiology and so on. And uh, yeah, I saw Bionics. I was like, what is it? Because there was one university or two universities in whole Germany offering this course. One was in um, RWTH Aachen at that time, and uh, one was Hochschule Rheinwald. I was like, what is it? 
I didn't have any idea how good Hochschule will be and so on. So I went through different blogs and I saw that, okay, in Germany, you have certain standard of university, whether you go to one Hochschule or any other university, you should expect that they will be at certain level, which is good. So I said, okay, another friend of mine, he also got admitted here. And uh, so, yeah, I landed here. I applied. I was accepted. And then I <clears throat> went to the usual visa process and took three, four months. And I got my visa in September 2013. That was the first time I actually traveled outside of India. I had some reservations, like how it will be, how will I manage and so on. But yeah, as I said, like, I didn't have, I don't know, fear to go out. Because I was confident, okay, if I can speak English and I have some money with me and I can go by around the world, I don't know. That's uh, what I had in my mind. And I did that and I came to Germany and landed in Emmerich. I mean, I, because uh, at that time it was like, it was really hard to get student dorms here. I applied, I think, three or four weeks before and I was put on the list which had 100, 200 students before me. I tried to look for student apartment. It was also hard because, I don't know, uh, I was writing from India on Facebook. You get the invitation and the first Christian guy asked, do you have a room for me? I'm coming. And uh, so I didn't get a lot of replies. Some replies I got and they were like, okay, uh, we don't have place and so on. So I contacted uh, International Center in university at that time. So they were helping students to get apartments because that time it was an issue because Cleve was not ready to accept a lot of people coming in. And coming from Delhi or like Gaziabad, then you land in Emirates and they were like, well, <laughs> where did I come? Like, you know, at seven o'clock, it was dead. It was dark. Uh, in September, it always already started to the days getting shorter and it was dark, seven o'clock. I thought, okay, I will probably rest and go out, just roam around uh, the city. Everything was closed. <laughs> that was like a shock for me. I, was, I called the guys who picked me up from the airport and I was like, I don't know what to do. Can I get food here somewhere? Luckily, there was a McDonald's and uh, I went there, had some food. And uh, yeah, then it was a big learning curve to find out which bus to take to be to the to come back come to the university because it was also Emirish like part of Emirish which is not in the city center and you get get away from it then you have even less connections and uh, yeah it was nice I had a few students also from a university who also came to the same apartment and yeah I made friends with them one of them is still my friend nice guy yeah so that way it was easier to have people around because we didn't know anyone uh, mm -hmm. there and to come to Cleaver every day especially in the evening it was a risk that you miss your bus and uh, we had no idea what we would do walk 10 kilometers or yeah exams I was uh, really surprised that you can you have to register for your exams I missed first semester I missed two or three exams because 
in India, it's a standard procedure. If you're in first semester, you have to give all your exams for first semester, in first semester. If you do it on second, in second semester, that means you have failed in first semester and you have to repeat in second semester. But here it's not the case. And this I found out after one of my friends told me that, why didn't you register for that exam? You have to do it. And that line was already over. And that way also, as I already mentioned, how the cushions are, what you expect from them. I wasn't expecting it, at least at the master's level. I was expecting it to be more focused, but it was really varied that you have different subjects, but fundamentals in the sense that just skimming through it, not going deep, which I didn't expect at the master's level, but it was like this. I thought probably, I think probably it's like that. If there was more, little bit wiggle room, like you want to have, you only want to give two exams, you give two exams, you take three later. That was more, I would say, more surprise. So my thesis supervisor, he told me that, yeah, what you're doing in research is nice, but you always have the option to take it to the next step and uh, you don't have to stop here. And uh, yeah, we decided why not. Then there is research department and they started, just had started this program where you can write your own proposal and apply for the grant from the uh, university. But the problem was that the Hochschule does not have affiliation to award you PhD thesis. So during my master's, I was doing research. So I had a collaboration with one professor from Marseille and we wrote a, a research article together. So I spoke to him, okay, what do you think about it? Is it uh, plausible that we continue the same subject, go further in the field? And uh, he really liked the idea. And uh, so we had to find a common denominator where we can use the setup or technology what we have here and the technology what we had there in uh, Marseille. Yeah, I worked on it. I wrote a research proposal to get the grant everything worked out. So yeah, that was the journey, how I like started. And there were some issues at that time, because as I mentioned that it was relatively new. So our university didn't had guidelines or guidelines for French university were different as guidelines for German university. So there was a lot of exchange or different stuff with administration, which I had to go through. Yeah, but I would say it was a learning experience. Yeah, we received from NRW. So in NRW, in our university, there are a few professors who got the promotions rest, which is the right to hold a PhD student without the affiliation of another university. And the this PhD will be granted by the NRW as authority. Yeah, but still it's the, it's not, I would say, established universities. Different universities, they have their own budget 
So I want to have 10, 15 students. They divide the budget, you apply to them. But in at the moment, still in our university, it's like you have to write a proposal yourself as a student. And it's not structured PhD. So you make your own milestones and your own deliverable packages. And uh, if with your supervisor, you have to apply for the money. And uh, it's like you have a lab, you have a group, and this group gets X amount of money from the department. On the basis of that money, they advertise a position. But here it's different. So you come as a candidate to a professor who has the right, tell them you're interested, this is your idea. If everything works out, you work through the research pro proposal and then you look for the grant. There are different options, different funding bodies in Germany. You can choose according to your topic and uh, that's the way it is here. But it's it's not that you have to also need to have a second university. And it gives you more independence because as per my experience, I can say that it's a little bit tricky to have three people as your supervisors <laughs> because they have their own ideas and they want it to be the way they want and to make them come together on the same table, it's uh, tricky. So you can have a discussion with your supervisor, it's okay. But when two supervisors have discussions, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, with that system, it's their opinion. It's like something uh, written in stone. So it's 10 commandments, <laughs> even not to you, uh, like among themselves, they hold their commandments close to their chest. And they show it to the other guy. I want it this way. There is your second supervisor. I want it this way. There's your third supervisor. I had the problem. I had three supervisors. And the third wanted like, yeah, I want it this way. But one thing I really like in Germany, it's like I can always go to another university and use their stuff. This is what I find. Okay, you have to pay for it. A lot of money. But... There is always a possibility and there is always a possibility to go to actually any lab in the Europe, which I like. I get to travel to many countries, meet a lot of people all around Europe. In India, it's uh, really hard. I like being here in Germany. I also have a girlfriend here. If we think about uh, in future, I don't know, 10, 15 years or even 20 years down the line, we might move, get a place somewhere away from the city. I grew up in a village, so I like to be, even though there are a lot of people in village, but it's like relatively calm as compared to the city. So I like to be in a calm place. And I think that's also one of the reasons I really like to be in Cleveland, because I would say it's a town for Germany, but for India, it's a small village. We have limited amount of people uh, a lot of greenery around this early like yeah and in our village also you have the same thing and uh, here i get to travel especially now when our project is between three european countries so there is always a travel you meet new people conferences you get new ideas you think okay 
here's a nice idea, probably I can develop it better and always get feedback from people. So it's nice, like being a researcher, you get to meet a lot of people who think like you and who can actually make you even think better. Morning majors into bustling noon, the heart or perhaps the stomach of the university becomes a cauldron of diverse culinary tales. It's here in the Mensa in Kleve amidst the aromas of different cuisines that different voices converge, sharing stories that are as diverse as the food that binds them. Hi, now it's a different time of day than we had the last time. We thought maybe bring along someone who we met before. So we, we drag along Joost again with us. Hello, Joost. Hi, good morning. Good morning. And uh, we have someone with us who you might recognize from his voice before. Good morning. It's Harry. And we thought about normally the day starts with getting something to eat or the middle of the day at least. So I think I'm a bit unusual because I don't do any... Breakfast or lunch normally. I only go for dinner. But I think what we would do right now is we do brunch. What is because it's not really, it's we had breakfast. Three. I don't do breakfast either, although I do coffee, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So, so I also uh, do not have breakfast. There's a reason I think we <laughs> we, we agree on, on meeting here at this time. Yeah. Uh, We're at the Mensa, that could be a good place for brunch. Although to some Germans, it's also a good place for lunch and having a warm meal. That's what most people do here. All right. So when you walk into the Mensa, you will see that there's a rectangular space that is covered off with a fence, electric fence that goes up at 11.30 when lunch starts. And inside you have different stations that serve different meals. You start with the grill station, which is closed today. Um, it used to be open every day before Corona. And then you have Essen 1 and Essen 2, which are two different things. And then you have all the you have the salad bar and you have the snack bar. And then you pay and then you have very comfortable seats to choose from. And there you go. That's the Mensa in 20 seconds. Yeah, what, what about where you grew up? Was breakfast? I think breakfast is a very German thing, right? Getting up, coffee, butterbrot, bread with butter and sausage. And yes, because they get up early as well. Yeah. And they start early. Like 7.30 in the morning. And like breakfast. You need to be ready for the day. Yeah, egg and all of that. So I think that's really German. So all of us are quite unusual, at least it's in, in a sense that very un-German that we don't do breakfast. What about where you grew up? Is breakfast? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone has breakfast everywhere. It's just that the type of food we eat might be very unusual for you. Because a very popular breakfast in Malaysia is rice. Rice for breakfast, rice for lunch, rice for dinner. That's how it goes. <laughs> But of course, we also have toast and stuff like that. But it's much more normal to have a big warm meal for breakfast and then another big warm meal for lunch and, and dinner. What I didn't know before I came here is that Germans may have rice for breakfast as well. Really? Uh, I know what you mean. Yeah, Milchreis. Ah, I hate that. Yeah, I really like it with like your it. background. Oh, it's, it's, it's very sweet. sweet. Yeah. yeah, I don't like sweet stuff. I tried it once in Germany, maybe in my first year. Really wasn't a fan. It's especially this time of year, right? In in the fall, winter, you have some I don't know, little sugar on it. 
I think it's right here, actually, over there, over that on that stall there, the furthest in the Mensa. I think it was my first semester, which was winter, and I think that's when I tried Milchreis. I didn't like it because they usually have sweet stuff over there. Actually, I like Milchreis. <laughs> yeah, but not in the morning. Like like I said, I'm not like a breakfast person, but but it's more like a f sweet stuff with uh, cherry, yeah, or cinnamon, stuff. cinnamon. Yeah. yeah, that's that's mostly it. Yeah. It's says very German. I didn't know that. Was that like the first food you ate here that was very German to you? Or what was it? That was very German. Ah, I don't remember. Probably something from the Mensa. I just ate whatever they had. Uh, I can't remember. Nothing really stands out. Is there something that you really like? Typical German where you say, oh, that's, I, I could... In German you would, you would say, ich kann mich da reinlegen. I could uh, lay in it. <laughs> ah, Jägerschnitzel. Ah, for sure. It's not really. Is it German? Well, the Jägerschnitzel Jäger would be German, I think, because I've had I've had arguments about this with an Austrian person who said that you should never put any sauce on your schnitzel. Oh yeah, that's true. And I think the German way is the one with the sauce and stuff like that. I'm not so sure. When I was living in the south, that was one of the best things I ever had. Jägerschnitzel. Yeah, I think you you still. I think you get it more or less everywhere but like the quality of the schnitzel is probably different it's more a southern food i would say i'm not quite sure to be honest but what about you yours uh, i don't know going back to the milchreis because i just googled it yeah. it would be rice porridge or in, in china and asia you would have congee would you have that at malaysia as well i think it's more a japanese thing it could be salty or sweet more japanese okay. i mean no rice porridge yeah yeah that that i i know yeah. of we have in malaysia as well you can get it in mcdonald's in malaysia actually it's pretty oh, yeah. good but uh, really in mcdonald's yeah yeah every mcdonald's has like their own regional things right in malaysia and kfc you can get chicken rice they all have their regional twists everywhere i think i think the porridge that they the rice porridge they have in mcdonald's is actually pretty good <laughs> very unexpected but yeah What was your very German food the first time? I mean, you probably not went the first time to Germany when you started working here, but... I have no idea. I can't say what it's like. The, the first Dutch food I ate that wasn't... <laughs> I find out later that was actually Dutch because I thought everyone knows that food and went outside of... Well, we're in a border region. Nobody knew what it was. It's the... In German, it's Fleischkrokette. Krokantje, bitterballen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know what? I went to Nijmegen, and then they had these. They look like vending machines, but they're not really. Like you put in some money, and then you can take like the food out of it. And they have this like hot, deep fried things, like like a chicken stick. What do you call it? Like a kip something. Yeah, yeah. Kip or whatever meat leftovers you have, right? And you deep fry it, and then you put it in one of those vending machines, like a wall with small boxes that are heated up, so you get like a half warm deep fried snack and that has a very long tradition in the Netherlands okay. yeah okay yeah don't find it anywhere else in the world I don't know who came up with it but Germans uh, I know the story oh, yeah? about it yeah yeah <laughs> Germans came up with it but they didn't I don't know really why it stopped I think the maintenance was too complicated and it was so successful that you have restaurants like this also in America But they figured out it's more like the McDonald's way, right it was much more cost efficient if you don't have small windows but only have uh, restaurants that's really fast preparing food. That was the main goal. But the Netherlands, as far as I remember, it was because the kind of food that, that is really popular in the Netherlands, it's easier to reheat again and again or to be heated, like uh, bitterballen. Yeah. So that's the reason why it was successful or still going on in the Netherlands. Yeah, and it's very fatty. So it's usually something that you have 
very late at night when you get out the pub and you're a little drunk yeah. and you just want something fat. So that's maybe that's that's the niche <laughs> that that is proper for. I don't know, but it's yeah. I think in Germany it's also a thing where on Sundays you have an extra long, big breakfast, right? Or am I imagining that? No, you meet some sometimes in the weekend for big breakfast. That's not yeah. I don't know now. I think it used to be a breakfast. Now it's like brunch or what? There's something in between again. I don't know. But I remember for a birthday not that long ago we went to a breakfast and it was so completely full that there was a buffet that's also very popular in Germany. I think Germany. I think everywhere now. And where you have to stand in line for half an hour to get, like, breakfast. Mm. I thought it was typical German as well, to have a Sunday late breakfast brunch and a buffet or something. Yeah. But usually at home. Or no, or outside, outside as well. At a restaurant, they would, that would go on until 3 or 4 in the afternoon. Okay. Because uh, one thing that... So I'm not a... Like I said, I don't really have breakfast. But back home, like, on the weekends, I would have breakfast because we usually go to a... It's called a coffee shop. Not, like, the Dutch ones, of course. But... There you can get all kinds of hot meals from many different stalls. So it's usually like Chinese stuff, a bit of Malay stuff as well. So you would get like a pack of, like they sell these rice packets. So it's rice with fried anchovies, egg, spicy sauce in this sambal. I think you know the word sambal because they have it in Etika as well because it's Indonesians in the Netherlands. Uh, wrapped up. That's like our national dish actually. So you have that for breakfast and then you can have like some toast with butter. And then you know what's dim sum? It's a, yeah, yeah. It's a, sort of like it's a Chinese thing. Many different types of like dumplings and they have like different fillings, different types of meats and stuff like that. You have a few of those and then you have your hot coffee. Like you get super full. And that's something I used to look forward to back home because it was very special. Because you don't make any of that. I wouldn't make any of that at home. So yeah, so the Sunday breakfast, at least for me and my family, is something that it's a little different from my usual routine of just skipping breakfast and having a coffee. Depends on what time I wake up, really. Yeah. What I... Uh, oh, and Jos, you still haven't answered like the, the question about German food. Do you remember anything? Jägerschnitzel? But I think that's... No, all. I think sausage or something. Like the currywurst or things like this. It's oh, very yeah. easy to just cross the border and get one of those. Yeah, but the Krakauer, those were nice. It's a little similar to what you would have in the Netherlands, but then from the grill... So I like those oh, as well. Krakow? Yeah. Yeah. So the curry was you you chop it up, right? And then you put the curry sauce curry <laughs> sauce on it. Yeah. And then with this one you just take it with mustard or something, yeah. Currywurst was something I was warned about and I actually quite like it. I really do enjoy currywurst, but I'm yet to try the the OG currywurst in Berlin. I think that's the where it's from, right? Whoa, that's a big debate in Germany. Yeah. Wasn't that Hamburg? I think it was Hamburg. Right? No, no, no. It's no? A rural, not far away from here, the rural area. So, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure. Maybe you have to fact check that, but whoever is listening to that. But I think there was even a law dis dispute about the founding of the Currywurst, if it was in Berlin or in, in the Netherlands. Maybe we should ask, as you can hear, People are very <laughs> getting ready to serve the food, screaming at each other. Or they also have a decent currywurst here in the Mensa, but not today, unfortunately. Ah. Yeah, that's why I was looking. I'm getting hungry yeah, this, yeah. during this conversation. What do you think of the Mensa food, Yo, since you've eaten here many more times than either of us? I never go here because in the Netherlands you never have a warm meal in the afternoon. Ah. And even though I've lived there since more than 15 years but it's something that I'll never get used to because I can't imagine 
going to the mensa, having a hot meal at 12 in the afternoon and not just fall asleep immediately, right? So that's a good point because lunch, after lunch is when my productivity always dips. It's one of the few times I came here for lunch. They have something which also, from a language perspective, I thought was very interesting. It's called a Zettigungsbeilage. And that must be a low point both in German cuisine and language, right? Because it, it means, you know, stuff just to get full, right? Just yes. a Zettigungsbeilage. Or that's like, very German. Yeah. yeah. Zettigungs. Is it related yeah. to the word Zat? Yeah. Yes. Ah, so to fill you up, just a side yeah. dish to fill you up. So okay. no matter what it is, apparently, no matter what it tastes like, <laughs> something you just stuff yourself with. I think Zettigungsbeilage. Yeah, yeah, but, but I think it, <laughs> it's actually they write it down Zettigungsbeilage. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Not just Beilage. <laughs> Zettigungsbeilage. Oh, that's really. Yeah, that was a new word to me. I'll never forget it. I'll, I'll go for my cheese sandwich and glass of milk. Okay. Instead of the Zettigungsbeilage. From a certain perspectives, <laughs> some from certain perspectives that itself might be a Zettigungsbeilage. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Germans would complain about the bread in the Netherlands. They don't have proper bread. It's just white bread. That's Not as true. bad as in the U.S., but it's uh, yeah. different. White bread is good. I, no, it isn't. It's awesome. I don't know. Yeah, but it's a lot of sugar in it. I yeah, think that's like the argument against it. So after this conversation, I'm pretty hungry. I don't know about you guys. I've been hungry since we started the conversation. Okay. So yeah, I think that it's getting louder and louder. Yeah. Let's grab some lunch, guys. We learned the word Zettigungsbeilage, so maybe we should try and find out what it is. Yeah. You think so? Sounds like a Zettigungsbeilage. I think, I think potatoes probably. Let's go get sated. <laughs> oh no, it's opening actually. Okay, we go get some food now. Good. Thank you for listening to the How to Hochschule podcast. We hope you enjoy the show and feel free to follow us and recommend us to your friends. If you have any thoughts or suggestions or just want to let us know how you like the episode, please don't hesitate. Take courage and do reach out to us at podcast at hsrw.eu. We are always looking for ways to improve and we appreciate your feedback. Also, be sure to check out our show notes and links and more information on today's topics and guests. Next time on the How to Hochschule podcast, part three of our four-part special 24 hours at Hochschule Rhein-Waal, the most international university in Germany. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm Stefan Hanf. This is the How to Hochschule podcast. We are looking forward to hear you next time. Tschüss.